2 Timothy chapter 4, starting again with verse number 6, the Bible says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love, that also that love his appearing. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. Lord, it's been a good day to be in your house. Father, I thank you for loving us and watching over us. And I pray, dear Lord, that as we stand to preach your word, that you would give me that help I stand in need of. Lord, I can't do it myself. And Lord, I don't want to try without you. Please, dear God, forgive me of all my sins. Speak through me tonight, dear God, that I could be that clean and willing vessel that'd be a help to your people, dear Lord. Father, I pray if there's one here tonight that's not saved, that you'd speak to that heart for it's everlasting too late. And I pray, dear God, that your spirit would have free reign in every heart. Lord, bless this time now. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So looking here again, Paul coming again, what we would consider, uh, what we would call that curtain call to the life of the Apostle Paul there, that, that final act, so to speak, in his life of Christian service there. And, and standing there again, there, there's no confusion whatsoever. There is no hope in the back of his mind. There's no false hope. There's no misunderstanding. Paul is not thinking, maybe, just maybe, I'm going to get out of this thing. Maybe somehow the cards are going to fall right and God is going to free me from this thing. He knows that as far as being freed, earthly speaking or humanly speaking, that is not going to happen. He is getting ready to go into glory there. And his concern, what he is worried about tonight, is that he leaves on the right note. He is worried about encouraging Timothy that before he steps off the scene and takes his first breath in glory, that he makes sure he encourages that young minister to keep on in the faith, to keep on moving, to stay, uh, to keep serving God there. And he gives him a message. Now this morning, uh, we looked there, it was a message of readiness. That Verse number 6 uh, dealt with Paul's present condition. Friends, he was ready to be offered... And he was ready for an opening there. He was ready for God. That departure, he said, to take up those tent cords and to be ready to move on when that trumpet sounded, when that final blast sounded, when God called His name, so to speak, He was ready to go on into glory. It was a message of readiness. Looking tonight, we'll finish up there uh, with just two things there. Not only was it a message of readiness, but secondly tonight, it was a message of resounding. Now, uh, the the... Excuse me, verse number 6 dealt with his present condition. Verse number 7 deals with his past accomplishments as we see there. I want you to notice first of all, he talks about the match that took place there. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith there. Uh, The term there, I have fought a good fight there. Uh, What it literally is, is I have fought the good fight. He's not just, uh, again, he is not bragging on his ability or his accomplishments. He's not saying, look at what I've done here. He said, I've fought the good fight there, the fight that God has given him to, to, uh, to stand in, the, the goals and the, uh, the work that God has given him to do there, friends. He said he could accomplish what God had set out for him. Every one of us, we have a, a uh, there's a mission field in our life, there's a ministry that God has set for us to do, that is the good fight, the good work that God has given us, and, and every one of us should be able to say, just as the Apostle Paul, I have fought a good fight when he gets to the end uh, of our life there, be able to say those things, friends, uh, what the Greek word that is used there, what it describes, 
is someone that has uh, that someone that has has fought there, someone that has contended. It speaks of an athlete that has struggled uh, to get the victory there. It pictures a boxer or a wrestler, someone that has again endured and gone through great expense and gone through great lengths in order to be able to win there. It, it talks about that fight there uh, again being in the perfect tense there. If you can picture a boxer after the fight is over, after that final bell is rung. And that boxer is standing there, uh, and he's standing in that victory. He's looking back over the fight. Maybe he's bruised. Maybe he's battered. No doubt he's tired and he's weary there. But he raises that hand. That referee raises that hand in victory there. That's the picture of what Paul is talking about here. That's the wording that he's used. He said, I've fought a good fight there. I've kept the faith. I've stood uh, where God wanted me to stand. I've worked and done what God has wanted me to do. Friends, Paul didn't quit when he got tired. He didn't uh, stop when he became weary there. He continued on for the glory of God. He pressed on for that high calling there. He wanted to reach that prize there. He wanted his hand to be raised at the end of that match there. He wanted to be found victorious. Friends, it doesn't do any good if we start and quit. It doesn't do any good if we come out of the uh, out of the gate like a, a, a rocket ship there. If we die out and don't finish the work that God has called us to do. Paul said, I fought. A good fight there. I fought the good fight. I've stood. I've been faithful. I've contended for that faith there, friends. He talks about that match there. Not only the match, but he talks about the marathon. Secondly, he said, I have finished my course there. Uh, the Greek word there, what it pictures again is a marathon uh, that is being run here. Now, if you know anything about a marathon, anybody that's ever done any type of running, a marathon is 26.2 miles. It takes an incredible amount of endurance to be able to run a marathon. Nobody that runs a marathon ever starts out in a full sprint. It is something that has to be paced. It is something that has to be anticipated, has to be trained for. Again, it takes that great endurance. It takes that great uh, faithfulness to continue on. If you've ever seen somebody in a marathon, when they get to about uh, that halfway point, even somebody that is greatly conditioned... When they get to that halfway point, everything in that body begins to hurt. Those muscles uh, begin to uh, to weary and to wear down. And they begin to want to quit there. And it takes being able to press on. It takes uh, someone being able to look ahead to that finish line. Now, here's the thing about a marathon. You can't see the finish line. It can't be seen until the very end of that thing. It can't be seen. It's not a sprint. You don't see it uh, from the starting point. You don't say, well, I've just got to get to there. It is something that that cannot be seen with the eyes. And many times when it can't be seen uh, with the eyes there, it has to be sought by faith. What Paul was saying here when he talked about uh, that he was running that marathon, that uh, he said, I finished my course. What he was saying is, uh, even though he grew weary, even though he became weak at times and those muscles wore down. Friends, the Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse number 31 that even youths grow weary. Even those in the best of shape get tired and get worn down there. And what he's talking about here, no doubt, Paul had been in that place where he wanted to quit. No doubt there were times uh, after being beaten, after being chained, after being uh, deserted by those that were supposed to be around him, after not seeing the results that he wanted there, or being chased from city to city there. No doubt there were times that he wanted to quit, but he said, I have finished my course there. He kept on running, one foot in front of the other. When he couldn't see that finish line, he knew that 
that eventually he would get to that thing. Friends, you and I today, sometimes we can't see the ultimate goal of what God wants in our life. Sometimes we don't understand what he's doing behind the scenes, but we trust in a holy God. We know he's in control. We believe that what he has started, he'll finish there. We believe that he's working everything in our lives to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that marathon, it's in the middle of that race that we have to say, Lord, I trust you and I'm going to keep on going one foot in front of the other even when it hurts. Even when it's hard. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course there. In the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14, Paul there speaking of that, uh, that uh, marathon there, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press forward. Uh, excuse me, I press toward the, uh, the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Nobody that ever runs a marathon, you will never finish it if you are constantly looking back over your shoulder. You'll never be able to look and to accomplish what is ahead of you if you are looking constantly behind you. Paul said, I press forward. I press toward the mark of the high calling. Now the prize that God has set for him, which is in Christ Jesus there, he's talking about running that marathon and not quitting. Friends, one of the biggest detriments to the church today are those who start out strong and quit. One of the biggest hurts today to the church, to the New Testament church, are those who come out with a fire, with a passion, with a zeal, with an excitement, and then flame out as quick as they started. There are those who are watching, and they're looking, and they're seeing, uh, they see that person, they see the passion, they see the enthusiasm, but they watch that fade. And they watch that person get to the place where they quit. And that lost person or whoever it is is watching says, well, I guess it's not that important. I guess it's not that big a deal. One of the biggest detriments, Paul said, I have finished my course. Now he's telling this to Timothy. Because Timothy is going to face some great challenges after not only uh, during the time that, that Paul was around, but especially after Paul passes on. Timothy is going to face some great challenges that he's going to have to have a firm foundation to be able to stand. When his mentor, when the one who led him to Christ is gone, and he gets to that place where those challenges come, he's going to have to be able to stand on his own two feet. Friends, our kids... Our grandkids, those that have, uh, those that are grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, one day you're not going to be around. You're not going to be the one that loads them up in the car and says, "Come on, let's go on to church." They're going to have to have a foundation set in their heart that it is not only important they they realize it's not only important to you, but that it's important to them. Paul said, keep on going, Timothy. I fought a good fight. I fought the good fight. I finished my course. Friends, not only the uh, the match that's being talked about and the marathon that's being talked about, but the matter that's being talked about there. He said, I have kept the faith. When he is talking about that phrase, I've kept the faith. He is not talking about his own personal faith there. He is talking about the precious gospel that has been entrusted to him. The faith there, it means the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I've kept that, friends. Every one of us ought to have that testimony that we've not wavered from the gospel of Jesus, that we've held to that thing. Uh, Friends, the book of Galatians, chapter 1, uh, verses 8 and 9 says this, 
But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul said, let him be damned if anybody else preaches any other gospel here. Friends, the language, it goes from being figurative there. When he talks about that wrestling match there, I fought a good fight. Uh, that marathon there, I've kept the faith there. I've finished my course. Uh, to being literal there, I've kept the faith there. He said, I've not wavered from the Word of God. I've not changed the message of God. I've not sought another avenue towards Jesus Christ. I've not sought another way of salvation. Friends, you and I today, if there's anything we ought to be, it is faithful to this message of Jesus. Christ. It is stern on this thing. We ought never to waver on what the gospel teaches there. We ought never to give our children or anyone else a false hope and say, well, you just pick what God is good to you. You just pick what avenue is good to you. Friends, we ought to hold high this gospel there. Uh, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Friends, the detriment of a bloodless gospel. We've come to the place now where the blood is offensive. Yeah. Entire denominations have voted to take the songs of the blood out of that book. They won't preach on this. They'll preach it's a bloody gospel. It's offensive. Friends, Hebrews 9 and verse number 27, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Without that blood, we have no hope. Without that blood, friends, it is Christ's blood that paid the price for you and I today. It is that blood that purchased our redemption. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, that we've not been redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, gold can't do it today. Money can't do it today. Material can't do it today. It is that shed blood on Calvary's hill that washes you and I white as snow. There's still power in the blood. That's our only hope tonight. Oh, the detriment of a bloodless gospel. When we take that blood out of the gospel, we've taken and we've cast people into hell just as guilty as if we put them there ourselves. When we say there's another way, or we give someone a false hope, Friends, the Bible tells us that the blood of those people will be on our hands when we fail to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing to think about. Uh, how detrimental that, blood, that bloodless gospel is. Oh, the damnation that we think about on a Christless salvation. When we take Jesus out of, uh, out, of the, out of the equation for salvation, when we say there's another, when we say that Buddha is just as good or Muhammad or Allah, or we say Confucius or any other, say, hey, it's just another name for God. No, friends, that's an idol. That's something that's dead and worthless. It's no good. It won't take us anywhere. It's an empty God tonight. The only one that can do it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, Confucius is still in his grave. Muhammad, that pervert, is still in his grave tonight. Thank God Jesus is alive well you can go by that old tomb there and it's empty today friends he's coming back for you and I thank God for that tonight friends there's only one hope tonight and it is in the Lord Jesus Christ Revelation 5 and verse number 9 tells us this and they sung a new song saying thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and wast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation the prior context in the verse in that chapter of Revelation 5, you have an angel that comes to John and he holds that scroll, that seven-sealed scroll, the deed of the earth there, he holds that in his hand. And he asked John, he said, who is worthy to open the scroll? There was silence. There was no one that was worthy there, friends. No angel could answer that question. 
No angel could give that answer. John himself couldn't give the answer. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation chapter 5 that one of the elders, a representation of the church, gave that answer. He said, there's a Lamb of God. You say, preacher, why didn't the angels know about it? Angels can't sing about redemption. They've never been redeemed. Only man can sing that, friends. And Christ came and became flesh for you and I. Uh, John 1 and verse number 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Friends, He came down and He robed Himself in man's flesh there. He humbled Himself and made Himself submissive unto death there and paid the price for you and I, friends. Oh, the damnation that comes when we take Christ out of the Gospel. There's no hope tonight when we take Him out of the Gospel. Paul's message there, not only was it a message uh, that he talked about there, it was a message of readiness And it was a message of resounding there. The readiness, speaking of His present condition. The resounding, speaking of His past accomplishment. But last of all tonight, it was also a message of reward in verse number 8. This is uh, Paul's future anticipation. As we look here, verse number 8 says, Henceforth, what he's saying is therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing there. I want you to notice just a couple things. Be mindful of our time. We'll close in just a few minutes. I want you to notice, first of all, that there is a crown that is waiting. He said, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That crown there, the Greek word is the word Stephanos there, and what it means is a victor's crown. It speaks of one who is an athlete there. If you think of the Greek games, if you think of uh, the Olympics that was started in Rome there, uh, they, they, went, they, they ran for a crown, they ran for a prize there. They would go and they'd have that wreath that would be placed on their head there. That wreath was a symbol of their victory. Paul said there's laid up for me a victor's crown, a crown of righteousness there that is laid up for me. Friends, it is a different word than what is used there to describe the crown of Christ there, which is diadema there where we get our word diadem from. Revelation 19 and verse number 12 says, On his head were many crowns. That speaks of a kingly crown. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. But because of Him tonight, you and I are victorious. Because of Him tonight, we have that victory in Jesus. I love that old song there, friends. We have that tonight. That is something that you and I as Christians, friends, we need to live in that victory. We need not to walk around as if we're defeated. We need not to walk around as if we're discouraged and distressed and depressed. We need to walk in that victory tonight because Christ is one. We shall win also because He was uh, rose from the dead. We shall rise also because He paid the price. We shall be redeemed there. Friends, it's time we celebrate what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That crown there, friends. There is a difference between the gift of righteousness and the crown of righteousness that Paul talks about. That gift of righteousness is the imputed righteousness of Christ. What is, what is placed on our account there, it's given to all Christians. Every born again believer has that gift of righteousness. We've been made holy in the sight of God. That's what allows us into heaven. But that crown of righteousness, what that is, that is a reward for those there who live uh, that holy life there in anticipation and in expectancy of the return of Christ. As we talked about this morning, there is a reward. For those who are looking for the second coming of Jesus. There is a reward for those who are anticipating it. There is a reward 
For those who are uh, desiring it there, again, it's, it's in the perfect tense there. It means a continual desire. Those that are looking out for it and, and wanting that to come, you say, Preacher, why should we uh, be constantly looking for the coming of the Lord? Several reasons. One, because it could happen at any moment. Yeah. Two, because when our eyes are focused on Him coming back, yeah. they can't be focused on the filth of this world around us. When we have our sight set on the Lord Jesus Christ and our anticipation and our expectancy in Him, then we don't have time to worry about the pleasures of sin. We don't have time to indulge in the things of the flesh. When our eyes are centered on the Lord Jesus Christ where He wants them to be there, uh, then and only then is He glorified there. Friends, I ask you again, where's your anticipation tonight? Where's your focus tonight? Where's your passion? When we look out on those clouds... I'm not talking about being so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. I'm not talking about walking around and sounding so spiritual we push people away. I'm talking about an excitement about us. A a desire there, friends. Do you realize tonight that that Bible calls the second coming of Christ there, calls it our blessed hope. That rapture and that return of the Lord Jesus, it's referred to as our blessed hope tonight. Hope in the Bible does not mean like you and I use it. I hope my team wins the ball game. The word hope in Scripture means a promise. Something that we can stand on. Uh, That second coming of Christ, friends, do you realize the return of Christ is prophesied just as much as the first coming, if not more, friends. It's something we're to look forward to. That's why the Bible tells us the first time He came. Isaiah 53 says He came as that lamb for the slaughter. But when we look again, Zechariah 12 says He's coming as that lion for victory. Friends, He came the first time to die. He's coming the second time to rule. He will rule and reign with all power and with all authority. And thank God tonight, we get to rule with Him. We get to be a part of Him there. The church uh, gets to be His bride standing beside Him. And you and I today, there's a crown to be won and we ought to strive to win that thing. We've come to the place now. And one of the things I absolutely despise when you see this, even in, in it's come all the way down to, to kids' sports and all that, where they don't keep score, uh, there's no winners and losers. Friends, that, 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 that takes all the, the drive out of it. That, that takes all the, the competition, the desire, it takes all the accomplishment. There's, there's, it's good to win, it's good to lose. It's a discipline, it drives you, it teaches you, it makes you strive and want to uh, go home and practice harder. Every time I ever lost, I, I wanted to go back and try that much harder because I, I, and I, never, I hated that feeling. I wanted to go back and win. I wanted to be the best at what I was doing, friends, you and I as Christians. We're not to be walking around aimlessly. Amen. We're not to be coming there half-heartedly and saying, well, if we win some, great. If, if not, no big deal. Friends, we ought to strive to be the best. We ought to want something to lay at Jesus' feet there. That's an easy crown to win there. That's one that just looks for anticipation that we say, hey, maybe that's the cloud Christ is coming back on. Maybe this is the day He calls us out. Friends, there ought to be an excitement in our heart about those things. I don't understand why so many people don't get excited about the fact of the rapture of the church. Do you not realize that when Christ sounds that trumpet... Every pain you have, all the imperfections, all the weaknesses, all the worries, all those things that you struggle with, they're going to be left behind and we will be brought into the presence of God. Bible says He'll wipe all tears from our eyes. We'll be in His presence never to die again. There'll be no more separation. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more sin. Friends, anybody that's a Christian, you know what it is to be tempted with that sin and how bad that feels when the devil is on your shoulder. 
And he's telling you, oh, if you were, uh, if you were right with God, you wouldn't struggle with this. If you were this, you were that. Friends, how good it'll be that the very presence of sin will be gone. We ought to look forward to that tonight. It ought to excite us tonight. Not only is there a crown that is waiting, but secondly, there is a Creator that is willing. Look at the second part of verse number 8 there. He said, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Oh, friends. He talks about that righteous judge. There. He uses that term, the, the Lord, the righteous judge. Uh, what he's doing is he's putting in contrast. He's contrasting the holiness of God with the, the corruption of those judges that are going to condemn him to death. Again, there's no misunderstanding about what's going to happen. Paul knows he's going to die. He also knows that his death is going to be unjust. That he's done nothing to deserve that death. He also knows that he's broken no laws, no Roman laws, no Jewish laws. He has held to and done uh, that which is right, not only in the sight of God, but he's been lawful in doing it. So he knows those judges are corrupt there. Just as the same ones, if you come out on Wednesday night as we've looked at the crucifixion of Christ, just as those that condemned Christ to die were unjust, the Pharisees uh, lied there, bared false witness there. Pilate uh, knew that he was innocent and still condemned him in order to appease the people. That was an unjust judge there, but thank God, God is righteous, He's holy. Every judgment He makes tonight is perfect. Everything He allows to happen, though we don't understand it, I can't stand here and explain why, good, uh, why bad things happen to good people, but I can tell you I trust the righteous judge who knows what He's doing. And it is, again, that, that, that righteousness, that righteous judge in contrast there. It says, shall give me. The word give the, uh, means to award. He said, that righteous judge is going to award me that crown. Could you imagine, for just a minute, to put this into context, could you imagine coming into the presence of the Holy Son of God? perfect, righteous. The Bible tells us that heaven uh, needs no sun because the sun Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, shines in that light, uh, lightens the, the, the entire place. Can you imagine bowing before the Lord Jesus and Him laying that crown on your head there? Could you imagine Christ Himself awarding you, giving you that, that, that crown there and, and placing that on your head? Could you imagine... What kind of honor that would be, the eternal rewards in the heaven, never to perish away there, friends. The righteous judge wants to give us those things. What an amazing thought that is to think about tonight. The very Son of God awarding us for our service. You know, the closer we get to God, the more we ought to realize just how unworthy we are of Him. The closer we get to God and, and His, His glory and His light and His perfection the more it ought to show our imperfections. The more it ought to show us what grace really is about tonight. The word grace means unmerited favor, unearned, undeserved. Friends, when we stand before a holy God, no matter what we think of ourselves here, we're not going to be able to brag. We're not going to say, look at me and what I've done. We're going to say, look at Him. Just like John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist got it right. He did it this side of heaven. You and I should follow his example. He did it this side of heaven. When they came in this, and they began to question John, who he was and, and what he was doing there, his disciples said, John, doesn't it bother you that, all, that, that, that the multitude is leaving you and following after Jesus? And when he saw Christ coming, instead of murmuring, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. 
which taketh away the sin of the world. He got it right on this side of heaven. How much more so should you and I? I love when the Pharisees came and said, Are you the Christ? He said, Oh, absolutely not. He said, I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoes. What a tremendous testimony. You and I, friends, that, 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 that desire should be in us to brag on Jesus. That desire, friends, He is the one who is worthy of it. When I read this Scripture, and I see that even the angels themselves, whenever a man bowed down before an angel, they would immediately stop them. See thou doest it not. They weren't worthy of it. But when a man fell before Christ, he was falling in the right place. You and I tonight, friends, ought to have that same praise, that same honor, that same glory to the Lord Jesus. Not only is there a crown that is waiting and a Creator that is willing, but last of all tonight, there's a crowd that is watching. Look at verse uh, last part of verse number 8. He says, And not to me only, but to all them also that love His appearing. Notice what Paul said here. He did not say unto all them that love Him, but that love His appearing there. I read a quote there. It says, Of all the, indicated, all the indications that one loves the Lord, the earnest longing for His return is one of the best. For such a person is thinking not only of himself and his glory, but also of his Lord and of the latter's public vindication. For all such persons, the wreath is waiting. That crown is waiting. For all those who are looking in anticipation that love His appearing tonight. Friends, if you sit here and you say, Oh, preacher, I hope, I hope the Lord doesn't come. I hope He doesn't come in my time. I've got a lot of living left to do. Friends, this reward is not for you. You've missed the mark. If you're saying, Oh, preacher, I just, I, I, I'm enjoying myself too much. I hope the Lord doesn't come now. I hope He gives me a little, bit while, a little while longer. Friends, you've missed the mark. Every one of us, as I said earlier, those tent stakes, those cords that held that tabernacle down, Paul said, I'm, my departure is at hand. The loosing of those cords. He said, I'm ready to go. Friends, when it comes to God sounding that trumpet tonight and calling us out of this old wicked world and bringing us before Him into His presence, ushering us into His presence, every one of us should be excited about that tonight. There should be nothing no pleasure, no material possession, no nothing that holds us here. And we say, no, that's more important. We should have that desire to be in the presence of the Lord. Now friends, understand something. If you're saved tonight, and you know you say, preacher, I know I'm not perfect, but I am living the best I know how to, and I'm trying to make sure that I've got no unconfessed sin, that I'm keeping where I'm supposed to be in fellowship with God. Friends, that, that's something that you and I should look forward to, that calling, that trumpet sounding. But tonight, if you are not saved, the sound of that trumpet ought to strike fear into your heart. The very fact that you are sitting here listening to my voice right now shows the fact that if you hear that trumpet right now and you are not saved, you will be held accountable for your sin. The time of salvation will be gone, your opportunity will be passed, and that judgment will come. We read about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8-12. through 12. That's the group that God says He'll send strong delusion that they shall believe a lie. Why? Because they had the opportunity to be saved and they chose not to. That trumpet sounding, if you are not saved, it should strike fear into your heart. That at any moment, at any time, God could call us out of here and you'd be left behind. How sad would it be when you think about parents with children being left behind? 
How sad would it be when you think about children with parents being left behind? Family, friends being separated. Friends, that ought to strike fear into the heart of those who are lost. God has called us to be prepared. To be ready to go when He sounds that trumpet. That we can stand before a holy God. And that we can be in His presence and we can join that. Paul said, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking for it. He, he said, I finished my course. My, my race is done. He's standing there at the end of that match there. Yeah, he's beaten, he's bloodied, but boy, he's victorious. And Christ is raising his hand in the victor's circle. He's come across that marathon and he's made it. He's, he's fought through the pain and the endurance and the fatigue and all the, all the wearing out there. He's fought through all of it and he's crossed that finish line and he's looking back and he says, I've run my race. I'm ready to go meet the Lord. I ask you tonight, friends, if God were to sound that trumpet, if He were to call us out right now, could we say the same thing? I'm not talking about sinless perfection. There's not a one of us that are perfect. There's not a one of us who have not sinned. We won't, we won't be sinless till after we get to glory. But I'm asking you, what about your fellowship? What about your service? What about your heart tonight? Are you ready? To stand before a holy God. Are you ready to be in His presence? Is there a crown that you have earned there? Is there there that righteous crown that God is going to place on your head? Friends, if not, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. If you are saved, it is time to serve. It's time to get busy for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're lost, now is the opportunity. God is extending a hand to you. Don't turn it down. Don't say, preacher, I'll worry about it later. You might not have a later. God might not deal with your heart later. If you're saved, make sure we are serving our Lord with all that we've got. As I've said before, everybody can be found faithful. If you're lost, Friends, in just a moment we're going to close out this service and I promise you there's not a person in here that will embarrass you. Please do not let pride or worry or anything else keep you from getting things right with God. That is the most important decision and that is the only decision that will matter in eternity is whether or not you know Him. Ms. Deborah's going to come in just a second. We're going to open up this altar. Right now, those of you who are saved, I'm speaking to the church. You know somebody that is on their way to a devil's hell right now. You know someone that if they took their last breath now, here on earth, would take their first breath in hell. And they will be there for all of eternity. There will be no mercy will be gone. Grace will be gone. And judgment will be poured poured out in full. That's what this altar is for. The Bible says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. We want revival. We want God to move in our church. Let's start with God moving in our hearts. Let's all stand in that heads back and eyes closed.